thank you so much uh, for, for being here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Robbie, and I lost my voice during In Christ Alone, so um, <coughs> we'll see how, how this goes. It's a little scratchy right now. Uh, that was fun, right? Right? Yeah, that was fun. We have fun here. Come on, church. This is Church should be fun. At least, you know, that's, that's my take on it. Uh, I think church should be fun. Yes, we're going to get to some serious topics, and we're going to talk about one of those here this morning. But ultimately, I think it should be a party. It should be a celebration when the people of God come together, and, and we, we worship with one another, and we, we, edit, we pour into each other. We, we fellowship with one another. It should be a celebration, right? When we swap God stories to one another, how incredible is that? It should be a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun here. We like to have fun. With that in mind, let me talk to you about some Greek words. <laughs> I was kind of kidding, but also kind of serious. The message title for today, if you're taking notes, is quality time. Quality time. And not the quality time you're thinking of. We're not talking about quality time with your friends, with your spouse, with your kids. We're talking about the quality of your time. There are two words <clears throat> for time in the Greek language. One is chronos, and the second is kairos. So, so let me do a little etymology here because I'm a nerd and I enjoy that kind of thing. And since I have the microphone, I get to make you all pretend to enjoy it as well. So we're going to do a little, we're going to break down these words just a little bit. But first, does anyone have a watch I can borrow? Does anybody close by has a watch I can hold? All right. You're brave. You're brave. All right. How much could I get for this? Ooh, this is a this is a good watch. I like this. Kidding. I did this thing one time when explaining apologetics to a crowd of people where I asked the audience for a watch. And um, I took the watch and I placed it in a in a brown paper bag and um, I closed the bag and then I took a hammer and I smashed the watch in the bag. Right? And then I gave the watch in, in the bag still, I gave it to the kid who let me borrow it. And um, he, he, he was just dumbfounded. I mean, just his face was, you know, in shock. He was trying to figure out if it was a magic trick or, you know, what just happened. Did I, did a sleight of hand swap his watch for mine? I didn't. Maybe I should have. Um, I gave it to him, and I asked him to shake the bag, you know, a couple times to see if, if, if all those watch pieces would turn into a watch. And uh, naturally, they, they didn't, nor would they ever, because, you know, that watch had an intelligent designer, and, uh, you know, it had someone who created it, someone who sat there and, pieced it together, and um, so when you see, I was explaining the theological argument of intelligent design, the fact that we are intelligently designed, and, and with all of our cells and our chromosomes and our DNA, we are intelligently designed, therefore we must have an intelligent creator, an intelligent designer, someone who created us, and I was explaining, you know, I think the point got over, they understood it, um, uh, I think he wasn't so happy about his watch getting smashed, but uh, I didn't do that, I didn't do that again. But thank you for letting me hold the watch. So chronos is where we get our word chronology, right? Obviously, you probably already pieced that together. This is calendar time. This is, this is clock time, right? Chronos is, is clock time. It's sequential. It's, it's past. It's present. It's future. It's, it's linear. That's what chronos is. All right, it moves in one direction. According to Greek mythology, that's right. I'm, I'm also a history and mythology nerd. That's, that's fine. Chronos was a short god with muscular legs, and he had winged heels, right? So he, he moved so fast, 
he moved so fast that, that once he passed you, he was impossible to catch. That was, that was the, the thought behind it. And, and to symbolize the transience of time, he, he, had, uh, he had a full head of hair in the front, but was bald in the back, right? To, to indicate that, that, that time was moving very fast past him. And, and by the time time got to the back of his head, he, you know, he was old. He was an old man, I guess. Um, in, other, in other words, you can't grasp the present once it's past. Most importantly to note, though, Kronos is a human construct, right? This is, this is basically a human construct. It's how we humans measure time. But God, in a beautiful twist of irony, uh, God who, who created time for us doesn't even exist within the, within the space-time dimensions that he created. He exists outside of that. He's outside of that. He supersedes that. And that's why we have to be very careful not to put God on our clock. All right, we can't put God on our clock, our timeline. By the way, just a, a little history lesson for you. It wasn't until the 14th century that we invented what is known as the mechanical clock, right? It, 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 even then, the clock had no minute hand. It was just like hours. Later on, they, they decided to break it down into like 15-minute quarters, and then, and then it was much later on in, in 1670 that the minute hand finally became commonplace. And it wasn't even that, that super uh, important or relevant because portable timekeeping devices weren't even invented until the 18th century, and it was in 1786 that, that Europe, uh, England specifically, exported like some like 80,000 clocks and watches, and all of a sudden, we're on the clock. Humans are on the clock at that point, and it's all been time, 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 on time. I'm late. I've got to get somewhere. Time, time, time. The second word for time is kairos. You can have this back. The second word for time is kairos. So chronos, linear, past, present, future. Kairos refers to a window of opportunity, a critical moment, an appointed time. There's a, there's a passage uh, in Esther 4.14. We're going to come back to this a little bit later, but I want to read it right now. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. I love this. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this in just a moment. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. A moment, a critical moment as this a window of opportunity. Really, it's, it's, it's quantity versus quality. That's the two types of time we're talking about. Kronos is quantitative. It counts the minutes. Kairos is qualitative. It captures the moment. It's the carpe diem. It's the seize the day. It's the quality time, time well spent. <clears throat> Looking at the etymology of, of Kairos, Kairos is actually an archery term, and, and it refers to an arrow. I thought about bringing the, the full-on crossbow, but I thought that would scare some people, so... Just brought the arrow. Uh, don't play with this. That tip is very sharp. It's an archery term that refers to, a, to, an, to, to an arrow that is shot at the right trajectory with the right force to hit a target. All right? It's a very specific window of opportunity for that arrow to get to where it's supposed to go. If it's a long distance away, the archer knows that there will be more variables that will come into play. The wind, all right, the wind speed is going to play a factor. The, the hills, you know, the, 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 you know, whatever the topography of where you're shooting at is going to play a factor. There's going to be some variables. In fact, that arrow must be aimed off target in order to hit the target sometimes. Hear me, church, because that will preach. Sometimes an arrow has to be aimed off target to hit the target. Sometimes life throws things at you. 
things that, that cause you uh, stress and, and heartache and frustration, that cause you to have to aim a different direction, but still heading for the same target, all right? Just taking a slightly different route. Some of you are not in the job that you thought you would be in in this point of your life. That doesn't mean that that job, that target is not there. It just means that maybe you have to go a different route to get there. Maybe not the traditional route, maybe a different route. Doesn't mean your target is gone. You just had to readjust your aim a little bit. Some of you thought that your family would look different by now. Maybe you'd be married and you'd have a lot of kids, or maybe you'd have less kids than you have right now. Maybe you thought that's how your life was going to go, but, but you know what? That arrow, the family target is still there. That arrow is just taking a different path. You see, church, it's the ability to evaluate those variables. That is kairos. It's the time we're talking about. So hear me this morning, the time management as in, as in Kronos, it's, it's important. The psalmist even tells us to number our days. He says we're supposed to number our days. It is so important, and I am honestly pretty bad at it. Brandon Henson uh, is a church planner, a friend of ours from, from Decatur, Georgia. He was here speaking just a, a few um, weeks or months ago. I have no concept of time. I'm, I'm that bad at it. I don't even know how long ago that was. Uh, but he gave us some bags of jelly beans. If you were here for that, you remember he gave us some jelly beans. And he said, that these, these jelly beans, there's 24 in every bag. And these represent, the, uh, these represent the hours of your day, right? And so it was a very great example. And we took eight of them out and we ate them because we, we, we spend eight hours sleeping, you know, on a good day. And, and then, and then we've got like some time doing work and we've got time doing school. And we've got time doing all of these things. And so <clears throat> the thing is, is I think I have more than 24 jelly beans in any given day. I double book. I book things back to back. I, I, I make it very hard on myself to be able to do everything that I want to do. I create overlap. I'm terrible at time management. I am late for almost everything. My poor wife can attest. She is an on-time person. I am not. I'm not an on-time person. Never have been working on it. Kronos is important. <clears throat> it's important to be able to manage your time well. Absolutely. All right, it's very, very important. We need to be good stewards of the time we've been given. But church, if you don't control your calendar, you know your calendar is going to control you. So you've got to start establishing some boundaries. But I think even more important than managing our time, which is really another sermon for another day, is redeeming the time we have, making the most of it, making that time quality time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, pay close attention to this church, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I love the NIV, the NIV says it this way. That was ESV. NIV says it this way, redeeming the time because the days are evil. <clears throat> that little word for time in Ephesians 5.16, that word is kairos. You know, time can be measured in chronos, but life is measured in kairos. And discerning those moments, understanding those moments is at the heart of what it means to redeem the time. I, I think it's, basically this idea of living each day as if it's your first day and your last day. Living each day as if it's your first and your last. It's, it's seeing and seizing God-ordained opportunities. It's being fully present right here, right now. It's understanding that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. I think it's discerning the promptings of the Holy Spirit, understanding what he's calling you to do. And I think it's recognizing those very critical moments, those teachable moments, those holy moments. It's redeeming the time that we've been given. <clears throat> redeeming that time and ensuring that it's quality time. So that's what we're going to talk about for the next 
two weeks. Today we're not going to finish the message. We're going to have to leave you with a cliffhanger, and then we're going to bring you back next week, and we're going to wrap it up. So let's go back to the message, uh, the passage that I ref- referenced just a few moments ago. It's Esther 414. It says this, that if, <clears throat> for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come uh, to your royal position for such a time as this. I want to catch you up on the drama taking place here. This is coming out of the book of the book of Esther, and I want to give you a super quick flyby of the situation. All right, so there's a man named Mordecai, and Mordecai adopted his uh, his cousin, uh, sorry, his his little cousin named Esther, and and Mordecai, we're gonna call him Morty. Morty is 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 take he's talking in this verse. He's the one speaking in this verse, and he's talking to. Esther, although he's not technically talking to Esther, he's actually talking to a go-between person who's going to, you know, relay this message back and forth between the two of them, but that's besides the point. Esther was married to the king earlier in the account. If you go back further in the, in the book, he was, she was married to the king, and, uh, and during that time, Morty, he uncovered a plot by two people, two people, yes, he uncovered a plot by two people to actually kill the king. There was an assassination plot, and, and he uncovered it. And so uh, he stepped in, he ruined their plan, and he was recorded. That was recorded in the king's, like, diary or something, and it was put away, and it was stored forever. And so then we fast forward a little bit, and, and a little later on, Morty is found, he's, he's found having refused the king's order uh, to, to basically bow down before this, this new guy. Uh, his name was Haman, and he was basically like the royal vizier. All right, if you watched Aladdin growing up, and, and Jafar's job was royal vizier, and you wondered if you would ever hear that word again, well, I just did it today. He was the royal vizier. And, um, and he, so, so Haman, he was supposed to bow down before Haman, but he said, no, I'm not going to do that. This guy, he, he's a descendant of the Amalekites and, and they were the enemies of my people. And so I'm not going to bow down before him. And so Haman, he gets a little upset and he, he creates a plan to then kill all the Jews in Persia. <laughs> That's some next level, like, like just anger right there, right? He, he, he gets snubbed by one dude. So he, t- he decides to kill his entire people group. Morty learns of this plan, and he's telling Esther, and he's wanting her to help. So that kind of just catches you up really fast through the first four chapters of Esther. And he tells her that if she doesn't want to do it, he has faith that someone else will. Right? If you don't do this, somebody else, is going, help is going to come from somewhere. God is going to step up, and he's going to help his people from somewhere. He has faith in that. But it seems as though God is orchestrated for her, her to be in her specific place in the palace for this very moment. She's queen and she can protect God's people in her role if she chooses to. I think what Mordecai is saying to Esther is you better make the most of this opportunity. You better redeem the time. It seems like the worst of situations. The Jewish people are on the brink of genocide, but Mordecai has a unique perspective. He knows that God is setting Esther up. And here's what I believe and here's what I came to tell somebody this morning. God is doing the same thing in your life. But you have to redeem the time. You have to redeem the time. You have to have quality Kairos time. So I want to talk to you about how we do that and share several lessons about stewarding quality time, discerning God's timing and capturing those Kairos moments. I want to share those over the next little bit, and then and then we'll pick it back up again. Next week, we'll finish it next week. It's going to be a two-parter <clears throat> to be continued. And, and if you've if you've read any of uh, a book that I recommended uh, several several months ago, Mark Batterson's Chase the Lion, then then one or two of these points might sound kind of familiar. Uh, but here we go. Number one, 
and this is going to sound like a platitude, I understand, I get it, but, but it's true. And I would be remiss if I didn't start here. Number one, you have to trust God's timing. You just have to trust God's timing. And that is not an easy pill to swallow, I understand. Let me, let me say this, and I think many of you can relate. Possibly the hardest thing about trusting God might be trusting God's timing. That's just me. Maybe that's you. I don't know. But he rarely operates in my timeline. When I need something, I need it now. When I want something, I want it now. God doesn't operate by my now and my, my needs in this exact moment. Galatians 6, 9, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary of doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. At the proper time. When is that? Is that today? Is that tomorrow? Is that next week? Is that next month? Is that next year? I need to know. When is that proper time? When, when do I get to see the reward? When do I get to experience the harvest? Let me make an observation right here. And you're not going to like it. I don't like it either. But I think it's critical to understanding the way that God works. God doesn't always reward good deeds on the spot. Church, I think if you can understand that, a lot of your frustration with God might go away. It might just subside a little bit if you can actually understand that God does not always reward good deeds on the spot. Sometimes there's a time-delayed blessing, a time-delayed miracle, a time-delayed answer. In fact, I would go so far as to say that sometimes the answer isn't even one that we're going to discover on this side of heaven. The blessing might be one that only comes, the reward might be one that only comes in heaven. And I'm okay with that because that's the goal. That's the target. We were not made for this world. So the story in Esther, I think, is such a great example. So the Jewish people are on the, the brink of genocide, as I said, a plot hatched by a man named Haman who hates Mordecai. And, and Haman comes up with this plan. He erects a, a 70, this guy is next level in everything he does, a 75-foot pole in which to impel Mordecai. And on the eve of Mordecai's execution, God shows up in a big way. Let's read out of Esther 6.1. 6, We're going to fast forward just a few chapters. That night, this is the night before Mordecai is supposed to be killed, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. That's nice. I wish someone would just come read to me at 3 in the morning when I'm lying awake staring at the ceiling. <laughs> that would be a nice thing. It was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. <clears throat> okay. And this is nice. This is a, a nice revelation on the eve of Mordecai's death. But here's what you have to understand. When Mordecai uncovered the plot, it went unrewarded and unnoticed. If I'm Mordecai, I would have been frustrated in that moment. Back then, back early on, we didn't read that passage, but I explained to you that he figured out, he found out that these two people were trying to kill the king, and he actually stepped in and, and, and stopped it from happening. It was recorded, but he was never rewarded. Right? So, so I think if I were him, I would have been upset. I would want to be rewarded. I, I want, like, a ransom. I want, I want some money, some gold. I want a good position. You know, I want, I want some public recognition. But I think sometimes God has a different plan and a different timeline that he's working, and, and you have to love this. 
he flips the script in one fell swoop. Mordecai's supposed to die. The king reads this revelation, right? And then all of a sudden, the next day, I love this, Morty, he goes from death row to riding the king's horse and wearing the king's robe and signet ring. And there's a parade through the streets while Haman is impaled on the 75-foot pole that he made for Mordecai. Think about this for a second. Just, just think about this for a second. What are the chances that King Xerxes would get a case of insomnia on the eve of Mordecai's execution? All right, what are the chances there that that would happen? <clears throat> now, now, as the king, I can only imagine that he probably has one of the biggest libraries known to man at this time. He's got a massive, massive library. I can only guess how many books he has in that library. What are the chances that whoever is his, you know, nighttime reading maiden goes and chooses the exact right one that has Mordecai's account in it. And furthermore, out of this book, what are the chances that this exact story is open and read to the king in that exact moment? I think you understand what I'm getting at. The hand of the Lord was here. God was working and moving in this moment. I think it's obvious that, that God is involved so much in this story. And what I'm trying to get at is redeeming the time is the ability to discern the difference between coincidence and providence. I'm not suggesting that it's easy and we make mistakes both ways, but I think it's important for us to recognize that there's a God who, who, who is ordering our footsteps, who is preparing good works in advance, who finishes what he starts. And even though sometimes those good deeds don't get rewarded right on the spot, I've seen God show up in a time, a time or two and give me the, the, the reward, the time-delayed blessing that would make me appreciate the fact that the blessing didn't actually happen when, it was, when I wanted it to happen, right? That blessing comes later, and it was so much better later. It was so much better later. For Mordecai, it was so much better later. So he might have felt a little forgotten, a little neglected. But God knows what he's doing, and I think he was making sure Mordecai's good deed would be remembered and rewarded at just the right time. Number two, don't be so focused on getting out of tough situations that you fail to get anything out of tough situations. Let that sink in for a minute, because I just said the same thing twice. Don't be so focused on getting out of tough situations that you fail to get anything out of tough situations. In other words... You have to learn from the lessons that God is trying to teach. Listen, I know that some of you are in a waiting season. I know that some of you are in a season of life right now where you're just waiting and you, and, and, and you don't know what's coming next and you don't know what God's going to do and you don't know how things are going to work out and you can't see the silver lining and you're not sure how things are going to play out tomorrow or next week or next month and, and, and it's just a waiting game. And, and believe me, I've told you how much I hate waiting. I get it. But here's what I want you to know. The goal is not the goal. The process is the goal. It's the process that matters so much more. It's not about accomplishing your dream. It's about, it's about who you are becoming in the process. Are you being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> I found that that happens more effectively when it takes longer. And it's harder because then God can work on my character a little bit. And Lord knows my character needs some work. I always go back to James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when facing trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. During those times, God is teaching us, he's shaping us, he's molding us. What is God trying to teach you in the times of waiting? What is he trying to show you in the moments of despair? What is he wanting you to see in the seasons of struggle, church? Let's focus on that. Let's look at that because the process is so important. I think here's the danger that many of us struggle with. Mark Batterson calls it this. He calls it the the win-then syndrome. The win-then syndrome. It usually begins... All right, it starts usually when you are a kid or when you get your license or when you go to college or when you graduate from college or when you get a job or when you get married or when you have kids or when our kids go to college or when your kids graduate from college or when you retire, then life is going to be good. The when-then syndrome. When this happens, then things are going to be great. Nope. That's not it. Church is not about changing our circumstances. It's about changing us. So what we do is we pray and we ask God to change our circumstances. And those are the very circumstances that God is using to change us. We're praying against what God is trying to do in our lives. But here's what I know for sure. God loves you too much to bless you before you are ready to be blessed. You have to understand that. He loves you too much to bless you before you're ready to be blessed to be blessed. If you don't have the character to support the blessing, what happens is the blessing then becomes a curse. If your goal is financial independence, that is great. But I'll tell you this, if the motivating factor is greed, then that blessing is now going to become a curse in your life. It's going to become a liability. In fact, anything that, that you're doing out of the wrong motivation can become a liability in your life. But if the goal is generosity, now that blessing is a blessing because you are flipping the blessing and blessing others. So I think what I'm getting at is this, and it's a tough one to pray, but this is what we want to pray. God, I don't want you to bless me beyond my ability to steward that blessing. Don't bless me beyond my ability to steward that blessing, and that is scary But I don't want my gifts to take me someplace where my character can't sustain it because that is going to be a hard fall, church. I told you this is a tough subject. Number three, don't put a period where God puts a comma. And don't put a comma where God puts a period. I wish I could take credit for writing that line. I don't even remember where I first heard it. I I think I read it, I saw it on Pinterest or something years ago, but... But let me tell you, this, this phrase has stuck with me. Like something you read in a book as, as a kid or as a teenager, and, and it just sticks with you, or something you, you saw on a TV show, or something you heard in a message, or something you read in the Bible, whatever. Like this is just one of those phrases that just stuck with me. Because we tend to do that. I tend to do that. God is still working, and we close the door, period. Or, in other situations, God clearly closes the door, and we keep adding comma after comma after comma, hoping that that door is going to open back up. And we try to keep hope alive for something that God said no too long ago. Let me give you some examples in scripture of what I mean. Story of Lazarus, John 11. Martha said, period. Jesus said, comma. Martha said, he's dead. You're too late. Jesus said, even uh, if you die, you will live. There was a period there. God said, no, there's a comma there. The crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, the people put a period at 3 p.m. 
when Jesus spoke his last, when he breathed his last, last breath, and whenever he died on the cross, the people put a period there, but God placed a comma. You see, the story wasn't over. Jesus would be resurrected three days later. Just when you think it's over and you think you see a period, God reveals a comma. Peter, after the resurrection, John 21, Peter gave up hope. He returned to fishing. He spent three years with the creator, and he went back to fishing. He put a period on his ministry. Jesus says, it's just a comma. Peter, I'm going to call you forward, and you're going to be the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Let me give you something else you can relate to. We see a single seemingly uh, seeming failure in our life as a period. Well, I gave it the old college try, and it didn't work out. Let's put a period on that, and let's move on. Remember, church, God does not operate on our time. Just because you didn't initially succeed doesn't mean it's over. Sometimes some things need to pass before your, your dream comes to reality. We talked about dreams a few series ago. Sometimes he still needs to groom you for the task at hand. Sometimes he needs to prepare you for what's to come. I love history, and there's this one example of a man that you all know, a man of success, a man of virtue, a man so very deserving to be on our penny and $5 bill. Of course, I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln. Let me share with you a few things, a quick list of the apparent, apparent periods in his life that were actually just commas. He lost his job in 1832. He was defeated for the legislature also in 1832. He, his business failed in 1833. He was elected to the leg legislature in 1834, but then he suffered the loss of his sweetheart who died in 1835. He suffered a nervous breakdown in 1836. He was defeated for speaker of the state legislature in 1838. He was defeated for his nomination for Congress in 1843, but three years later in 1846, he was elected to Congress. He lost his renomination for Congress in 1848. He was rejected for the position of land officer in 1849. He was defeated for the Senate in 1854. He was defeated for the nomination of Vice President of the United States in 1856. He was defeated again for Senate in 1858. Abraham Lincoln was elected President of the United States in 1860, and the rest is history. Let me just encourage someone in this theater this morning. Some of you think that God has said no, but maybe you misinterpreted what God was saying. Maybe he was saying, not right now. We've still got to work. We've still got some work to do. We've still got some stuff to do in your life. We've still got some character to develop. We've still got to get you ready for the blessing that's to come because you're not ready yet, child. We've got, we've got to take some time. We're operating on God's time, not our time. Let's not put a period where God puts a comma. I think time is a, a, a kind of a funny thing. There's never enough of it, yet we're constantly wasting it. Next week, I have a few more lessons on ensuring your time is quality, well spent, and then we're going to look at some practical ways to steward your time for God and for others. So be sure to come back and get the rest of this because time is the one thing that we don't get more of. It's the most valuable resource God has given us. We think it's our money. It's not. Our time is the most valuable resource God has given us. We don't know how much of it we have. We want to make sure that every bit of it is quality time, time well spent. This is why this subject gets two weeks and treasure and talent only get one week each. Time is such a precious commodity, such a gift from God, and we need to be better at how we use it. Let me pray over us and we're going to worship some more uh, here this morning before we leave. God, we thank you so much for the time that you've given us. 
We thank you so much. for what you're doing in our lives, for what you're doing in our hearts, for what you're doing right now in this place. We pray that we could be good stewards of our time. We, we think about being good stewards of our, of our resources, of, of, of our money. You know, some of us are really good and diligent about making sure that we're stewarding our money well. That's a popular one. A lot of us steward our stuff really well. We steward our homes and our cars and God, may we be good stewards of our time, of your time, the time that you've given us here on this earth. I pray over each and every person in here this morning, God, that you would be moving and working in their lives, that if they're in a season of waiting, God, that you would just show them that, that you have a plan and there is hope to come. That whether it happens right now on this earth or whether it happens on the other side in heaven, God, that you will give an answer and that there will be a blessing. That you will calm our souls, that you will, you will just give us peace and rest in these moments and that we will lean into what you're doing in our lives. If there's character to be developed, God, that we will lean into that. May our prayer be that you not bless us beyond what we're able to handle. Beyond what our character is ready to take. May you only bless us exactly as much as we need and as we are able to do, able to use and steward. God, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you right now, God, that over these next moments, that you'll be moving and working in their lives and in their hearts, God, and that if they need to talk to somebody, if they need to pray to somebody, they will look to the person to their left or their right. They'll tap on the shoulder in front of them or they'll come down and see me in the middle, God, because we want there to be life change here in this place. We want chains to be broken. We want people to come to know you in these next moments. God, we give you these last moments of our gathering here this morning. May you move mightily in this time. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.